anti-Virginia stuff. Charleston Battery jerseys. Mm. Orlando City. Orlando City Things that I also would want that Ben would not want. The much narrower set of the... Anti-cat things. I mean... I'll go on, I'll go on Etsy and try to find something that's against the West Wing. <gasps> <laughs> I'm sure it exists because Etsy has all that stuff. Etsy has everything, but but they're pretty right. crunchy. I don't know if they would have anything that's right. anti-Jed probably, Bartlett. Yeah, probably. What if it was just a poorly made West Wing thing, like so poorly made that you would think, did this person even watch the show? Did they understand it at all? <laughs> it, it's going to be... Boy. Go over their head. It, it, it's it's a, an embroidered t-shirt that has a, a giant portrait of Moira Kelly and I heart Mandy on it. That would be Ben's least favorite thing. Resident of Mandyville. It probably exists on Etsy. You're probably describing a thing that is real right now on there. I mean, alternatively, you could... This is going to be out of character for me. You could spend the money to have goats come manicure your lawn. Because Amazon offers that now. But but I would love that. You would love that if it was Jason's lawn and he didn't tell you about it until afterward? I mean, he better give some pictures and or videos... Of yeah. said goats. There's a, but he's going to share it with everybody two. except you. <laughs> We're all going to keep a big secret. You're going to know it happened, but you're not going to be able to see any of it. Me and the 700, however many followers I have on Twitter, we're all going to keep a secret from Ben and Ben only. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be able to hold that uh, group together. This may be our weakest cold open ever <laughs> in the show's history. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is I mean, we don't have to use it. We can just edit all that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to leave it as part of the joke, especially since the part off air was about you being lazy and not liking to edit. So let's just go with it. <laughs> Welcome to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, uh, SB Nation's DC United community, where you can find us writing about DC United, uh, among other things. Uh, we've got a good show for you tonight. It's always a good show after DC United win a game, especially when they go on the road to a place that has basically been a death trap for Eastern Conference teams and get a win. Uh, their first win ever at BC Place. They beat the Vancouver Whitecaps 2-1. to one. We're going to talk about that. We're going to preview United's game against the Columbus Crew. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Columbus Crew SC. I'm not just calling them. They're, they're the crew. I'm just going to keep calling them the crew. They play Saturday at RFK. We're going to preview that, and we're going to open up the Twitter box for your question. We only got one question this week that, that I want to answer. So as, as of right now, it is question singular. Before we do any of that, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, it was nice and sunny out. It's not really hot enough to, to do this, but I felt like it, so I made myself a nice gin and tonic uh, with Green Hat Gin from D.C., which everyone, if you like gin, and you should like gin, you should probably go find yourself some Green Hat. And it is very good. Drink that it's, gin. It's very good. I use real limes because uh, I had them. Uh, I was actually thinking about making a mint julep, but I realized I did not have mint, so I, I had to scrap that idea. Well, that would be a problem. Yes, yeah, that that's... was a major problem to the plan of making a mint julep that popped into my head, and I was like, I'll make a mint julep. Oh, wait, I haven't bought one of the main ingredients. Well, this Saturday is Derby Day, so it's tis the season. That why it, that's why it popped into my head. I just um, Derby Day? I had not gone to the grocery store uh, when I was thinking of this. No, Ben. Not Darby Day. Not even close to Darby Day. Um, 
I don't have we talked about the various drinks that accompany the Triple Crown horse races on this show? Because the Derby has the mint julep, the the Preakness has the Black Eyed Susan, and I forget what. Uh, no one cares about the Belmont. Exactly. I forget what the Belmont is. Cause... The, the Belmont is too long and too silly. And too... Well, the other problem is the Belmont is always where the, the everyone gets excited about a potential triple crown, triple crown, and then that horse inevitably loses. Because it's too uh, long. To some other jerk horse. And so uh, we don't get our, our celebratory triple crown. We just get some other guy. Yeah, but, but the mint julep, old school, classy yes. cocktail... The Black Eyed Susan, basically, it, it's a, a Long Island iced tea and seersucker. Yeah, there used to be a, a different uh, drink. I can't remember the off the top of my head what it was before the Black Eyed Susan um, that was much more in line with the mint julep. It was sort of an old old school cocktail, and I don't know what happened. I'll, what I know about the Preakness is that you drink as much light beer as you possibly can, and uh, someone might run across the top of a row of Porta Johns. Yeah, that's um, about it. And then other people might throw cans of unopened cans of beer at that person. So it's essentially, uh, you know, full scale idiocy. Yeah, luckily tonight I am drinking the better version of Maryland because it is close enough to summer that Flying Dog has released Dead Rise into the wild again. It is their old base summer ale. This is the second year for it, and it is wonderful. And I have some, and I'm very happy about that. Ben, what are you drinking tonight? So I'm reading a book. I know, shock and awe. I've I've rededicated I've rededicated myself this year to reading books, you know, with words and pages and such. I've heard and, that. Yeah, so so have I. I'm not quite convinced of their existence yet, even though I've been reading them. Um, and one of the character, two of the characters, rather, uh, in a key part of this book that I'm reading so far, drink. Warm, plain gin. And I have warm, plain gin, so I put warm, plain gin in my cup, and I'm drinking warm, plain gin. You realize we're coming off a win, right? You don't have to go with straight shots of vodka. Yeah, but it's a depressing book. What kind of gin? Oh, not good gin. It's Seagram's. (laughs) Oh. Not awful, but not good. Yeah, Seagram's, if you're going for the, the bottom gins, is better than some of the other ones. Yeah. But, I like it better than Beef Eater, is basically what I'm saying. I mean, it's I'm, a book about someone's family who all got murdered, so... Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure why you chose to drink this drink. Because it was easy, oh. and I was cooking, and it was it was already past think, the time we were supposed to start the podcast, and... I think I, I can understand this. Um, if anyone ever saw um, Kill Bill, there's a scene where the bride goes to... Um, but she goes to Hattori Hanzo's sushi restaurant and orders warm sake, and he gets very excited about it. Um, after that movie, I may or may not have gone to the liquor store and bought a bottle of sake and drank it warm, and I bought, not based on price or asking about quality, but instead I bought the one that sounded the most Japanese to me in that uh, <laughs> heady moment, uh, which was called Haiku. Uh, haiku sake. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't buy haiku sake. I was, uh, what, 22 at the time? I didn't know what I was getting into. I was just really excited about the movie and wanted to do stuff that was from it that didn't involve murdering people with a sword. Um, so I drank warm sake, and I regretted it, but I I had to save face, so I kept I kept going while everyone was like, is it good? I was like, uh, it's, not, it's not bad. It's a thing. <laughs> the book I'm, I'm reading is Murdering with I'm an Axe. I'm finishing it. I'll, I'll tell you that much. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing is that you guys make poor life choices. Sometimes and just live I, with them. 
This is filibuster. Think, what else yeah, would we do? I, I right, think that's, that's been become abundantly clear on this podcast. <laughs> well, let's get away from depressing books about murder and warm gin and ill-advised sake adventures and instead talk about soccer because that is what we came here to do. DC United uh, came from behind this weekend to beat 10-man Vancouver. 2-1, to one, Pedro Morales uh, got the game going very early for the Whitecaps, scoring 70 whole seconds into the game. Bobby Boswell answered within 10 minutes of that, and Chris Rolfe scored the game winner late on. Well, not super late or anything, but in the second half. Uh, it's a big win for United against the early supporter shield leaders. Vancouver still leads the, uh, the overall league-wide table. Ben, what are you taking away from this one? I'm taking away that DC United can win on the road, and when they have Fabiana Spindola, they are one of the best teams, not only in the East, they're probably one of the best teams in the league, and I love it when the national media, the MSM, the mainstream media, likes to sleep on DC United uh, and predict that they will lose to, unanimously lose to the Vancouver Whitecaps or Orlando City or anybody else throughout the league. I don't mind that everyone keeps saying that and, we, and the team keeps proving them wrong. Um, but with Fabiana Spindola, with everybody getting healthy, this team is going to contend for a Champions League spot again. And in the end, that's what we want them to do. We want them to be able to get that sweet, sweet allocation to... Uh, to make it to Champions League, to challenge for MLS Cup, to be one of the best teams in the league. And despite some people thinking that their style of play is not the best, they've been able to do that over the last couple of years. Yeah, the story through this first stretch of the season, um, at least in the neutral media, the non-fan-driven Hashtag MSM has been that the LA Galaxy just need some starters to come back. The Portland Timbers just need some starters to come back. Uh, DC United's not very good, and, and on and on. Even though United were, obviously, we all know this, we've been through it, missing Spindola, missing Silva for a lot of it. He hasn't played more than 19 minutes in any game yet this year. Uh, missing Eddie Johnson now for the duration. Adam. Missing C. Birnbaum. Adam, how are you going? You're not going to play well if you're missing your top three goal scorers. Didn't this, you this know? <laughs> this was a quote in in a story about the Portland Timbers uh, in their slow start to the year, and obviously that you, you can get results when you're missing your top top three scorers from a year ago. Uh, you just have to go out and do it. Um, that said, the big story coming into this one was the return of Fabiana Spindola, who went the full 90 and had a big impact. He, his running uh, basically gave United a man advantage. Literally, he, he got in behind the defense, intercepting a back pass, and Matias Laba had to bring him down. And that was Laba's second yellow card. He was off, and D.C. United uh, went on to win the game. Jason, how nice is it to have Fabi back on the field? Uh, I think we saw how how much it means uh, almost straight away. I mean, not obviously straight away because their first 70 seconds involved conceding a goal uh, that Spinola didn't have anything to do with. But uh, I, I think it was an interesting game to watch because United pulled a little bit of a – there was a little bit of a tactical ambush, and, and it kind of hinged on the fact that Spindola 
um, kind of he, he's willing to run from sideline or touchline to touchline as well as press up, and it's not necessarily um, endless running. It's not necessarily um, pointless running. He, he's going to come up in odd places, and that happens on both sides of the ball. And I think Vancouver was a little thrown by that. Um, I think when they saw the lineup, they assumed it would be a flat four four two, and that. Um, and when they, maybe they saw Rolf up front, they said, okay, fine, Rolf is the forward, and that's that. But um, Espindola's movement uh, and his sort of strange, uh, unpredictable decisions uh, defensively allowed D.C. to settle in behind him, and he was sort of dictating where the ball would go for Vancouver, and they struggled with that a little bit, and I, I don't think they ever quite came to grips with it. Obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, it makes a huge difference because the spindle pops up all over the place and he attacks different players looking for whoever it is that he can pick on that night. Um, he's not just looking for um, the player who on paper should be the weakest. He's looking for someone who might not be having a good night altogether. He found that player in Palmo Duca, who he made look uh, like an idiot over and over again in that game. Now I know, um, I don't know if we have any Vancouver listeners. I saw some of the reaction on their end, and it was all basically, Palmo Duca should never play for this team again, uh, etc. Um, and it's because Espindola just kept making a fool of him um, and just kept being... The thing was, it wasn't that he was beating him by like dribbling past him or nutmegging him or anything. He was just faster mentally over and over again. He was always getting to the ball. They would both be running to the same ball. It's just Espindola started running a half second earlier. Um, just long enough for him to get there, touch it away, and then Ka is left, you know, charging at nothing like he often does. Um, and and those are the kind of things that lead to good moments for United. Uh, obviously, the counterattack goal or the counterattack that led to Laba's uh, red card involved Espindola outthinking some people and then bursting into the other end. And um, Laba did make contact. I, I saw some arguments that they thought, oh, it's a it's a dive. Um, Laba made contact with a sprinting human. Yes, Espindola exaggerated it by rolling and everything, but uh, if you're at a full sprint and someone clips your heels, you're probably going to fall down. Um, so I don't know that, that you know that was yeah. Uh, people it, people said that Fabi took a step afterward, and yeah, it wasn't a case of his leg was in the way, like his leg didn't vanish into thin air. Yeah, had, well, his foot had to land on the ground at that stage. Yeah, and as soon as his foot hit the ground and he was off balance, he was. Falling, right. essentially, it was it was weird because Laba clipped his instep. He didn't clip the back of his heel or or, right. or something. He basically pushed his leg out away from his body. At which point, he was no longer he was no longer under his center of gravity, right. and he there was no way he was gonna stay up if he wanted to, at least right. without losing all of his momentum. Either way, it was a foul. It was a yellow card. It was very clear. Yeah, and and, and most most Whitecaps fans I saw. Um, yeah didn't dispute that. Either. Right. And, and I would also point out that uh, because of Espindola's decision to the, the, the springing the ball free and making the run that he made, um, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, he didn't. I, I think even the TSN crew uh, that covered the game north of the border said he didn't, Baba did not have to commit that foul. I, I kind of disagree. I think Kendall Waston was completely screwed um, if Laba didn't do something with Espindola, if he didn't at least change his trajectory, Waston was going to be coming in from the side uh, against a player who's faster than him, who he's bigger than, so he's likely to just barrel into. So Laba Somebody was, was getting a red card, or Fabi was going right. to have a very good chance oh. to score a goal. Right, and, and Laba tried to just get in Espindola's path just enough to slow him down, but Espindola saw it coming and made sure that 
Lava didn't just get into his path, but actually made contact, which also, just because a Spindola played that looking for contact doesn't mean it's a dive, and it doesn't mean it's not a yellow card. Uh, if you cut across somebody knowing that they're going to hit you and give give you a foul, that's perfectly within the realm of normal soccer. That's a thing that you do. Um and that's something that not a lot of players in MLS care are smart enough to think of all the time, and Espindo is one of those guys. So it just it, it perks up our attack so much to have someone that's just more clever than the defenders he's up against. Jason, you mentioned a tactical ambush that Ben Olsen uh, set against Carl Robinson, and, and that was in the midfield. He, he shifted to, from his flat 4-4-2 that he's used this whole year, um, for the first time this year, he, he did what he's done every year. He's been a coach uh, at some point, and that is go to the four-one-three-two, kind of uh, an offset midfield with Perry Kitchen in the hole behind, in this case, Michael Farfan, uh, playing not really a number 10 role, but playing more advanced than Perry Kitchen. Uh, ben, do you think this was forced by Arno's injury? Because uh, Davey Arno didn't travel with the team for this. He had a groin injury. Or is this something Olsen kind of had up his sleeve, uh, ready to deploy against a team like the Caps? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think had Dave Vierno been healthy, he probably would have started him, but he's been known to do other things in the past. He's been known to uh, move Nick DeLeon into the middle. He's been known to uh, throw other combinations out there. But the fact that he's always... Every year he's been a coach, he's always gone to a one defensive midfielder uh, formation at some point in the year, shows that that's a part of his arsenal. That's something he wants to be able to do. Uh, For a number of years, that's how he started the season, with trying to make Perry Kitchen the one defensive midfielder in front of a more attacking lineup. And in the years past, it hasn't worked, so he's had to adapt and change it into other formations. So it's something that he's always had in his back pocket, and it worked well here. Um, And I think it's something that we're going to see going forward. I think it's going to be something that uh, doesn't drop out. It's not going to be an every-game thing that we see Michael Farfan in an an attacking midfield role, but we're definitely going to see it going forward, and we're going to see it more often. Yeah, I... Uh, I'm curious to see whether we'll see it this weekend against Columbus, especially since we have a blueprint that worked for 70 minutes against a Red Bulls team that's very similar in its style to the Columbus crew in in a lot of respects. Um, Ben, anything else about this game you want to talk about before we we shift gears to this coming Saturday? Um, I just enjoyed the fact that, and I I said this before, I just enjoyed the fact that everyone counted DC United out. I kind of enjoy the fact that nobody gives DC United a chance at any of these games, and obviously someday we will love to be the team that is like the LA Galaxy that is always expected to win everything, but for the team situation right now, it's kind of fun to be the underdog that surprises everybody and is actually successful when nobody thinks you're going to be. Yeah, there aren't a lot of teams that finished the previous year in first place and are tied for first place and just went and beat a first place team on the road that can say, nobody believed in us. 
DC United actually seems to be that rare team because every every coach says nobody believed in you and you're going to go out and prove them wrong. Ben Olsen actually has something to work with here. He's not he doesn't have to just make it up I mean, out of whole cloth. To a, to a certain extent, there are plenty of power rankings that have DC in the top three. Um, That's true as well. That's it true. just I think it's one of those things where it's top three, but there's no real fanfare. There's the you know the little blurb that comes with it doesn't really come with much praise. It's like oh they won in Vancouver, good job. Um, it's it's sort of I guess um, maybe that there there's the idea that the team just isn't exciting, um, and so people just tend to sort of um, they win and it's like oh, all right great, and then they lose and it's almost like that you know oh oh well um, it, it just for whatever reason uh, maybe the lack of um, huge stars I don't know what but um, the team's kind of uncontroversial and also. Um, just sort of gets looked over for other storylines. There's always something else going on that people prefer to pay attention to. I was going to say the, um, I think a lot of it does have to do with the style of play because at this point in history, United are, especially without Fabiano Spindola, without Luis Silva, um, they're not as dynamic going forward as some other teams in MLS. um, And they don't allow high scoring games, you know, games on weird turf in Costa Rica in the middle of preseason aside, they don't tend to allow a lot of games. So there's not a lot of fireworks in any DC United game. They're, they're pretty staid in a lot of ways. Um, and, and so they don't get the, the juice, the, the media's juices flowing the way uh, a really bad defensive team or a really good offensive team will. Yeah, um, there's a certain efficiency involved that's not necessarily very glamorous. Um, the other thing, the other thing from this game that kind of uh, interested me, especially with Columbus coming up, is the way we defended out of something that was more like a four-one-four-one, um, where Farfan would actually step ahead of the rest of the midfield, Chris Rolfe would drop back, and those two essentially had man almost man-marking responsibilities at least. they're trying to prevent the zone in which two players happen to always be. Um, And those two players for Vancouver were Lava and Russell Tybert. For Columbus, those players, depending on whether Will Trapp is injured or not, um, are going to be Trapp or Mohamed Saeed, and then Tony Chani is the other player who's definitely going to start. That's an interesting tactical wrinkle for Olsen to use because he might want to use it against Columbus as well. Um, Columbus is out-possessing just about everyone, um, it's the hallmark of what they want to do. And if United does that again, they're sort of replicating the midfield triangle that another team is going to have. And so we've kind of wondered for a while um, what United can do other than just play the 4-4-2 extremely well. Um, what else can they do to deal with teams playing out of a 4-2-3-1 that are good on the ball? And maybe this is the next um, – That this was a successful experiment, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, against New York, we saw basically just an attempt to play 4-4-2 and, uh, really well, and that was it. This was a different look, um, and it was an intentional look, and it, it, it didn't work great, but it worked pretty well. Um, it made it a little more difficult for Vancouver to build in the first half. It, it, you only get so much time to look at the results because Vancouver spent most of the game down a man, but, um, it's an interesting thing, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Olsen try it again this weekend because, Columbus plays a similar formation. They don't play the same style, but they the formation is similar, and they look to those two holding midfielders to help the possession, uh, especially if Will Trapp is in. They look to him all the time for, for 
um, the rhythm in their passing game. So that's going to be an interesting thing. Um, with Davey Arnode coming back, I don't know that they necessarily want him playing up far ahead of Perry Kitchen, but maybe that's something they work in training where we attack out of a flat 4-4-2 and then defend um, with Rolf and Arnode taking up those similar spots. But, you know, as Ben said, um, I think in our uh, our own little chat room um, during the game, Michael Farfan is making it awfully difficult um, to be left out um, to the point that it's almost like, well, if Arnode comes back in, who else is going to lose their spot? Would it be DeLeo? And it's not going to be Chris Rolf, obviously. Um, but that's a nice place to be where we have more good, more players playing well than there are spots on the team. That's a that's a nice thing. That that doesn't happen that often in MLS. Yeah, there's question now whether Davey Arno. I think at this point he is a central midfielder. So mm-hmm. if anybody gets moved to the outside, it's probably Michael Farfan. But then you have the fact that Marcus Halstey is coming back from injury. He might right. be ready to go in the next couple weeks in central midfield or in central defense. And mm-hmm. then um, Hernan Hinostroza, Hinostroza. Hinostroza. Uh, 21-year-old Peruvian, is in on trial. doesn't sound like he's likely to be signed this year, even though his trial's just beginning. I mean, but he, he he's someone to keep an eye window. on. Yeah. yeah, he could be yeah. more of a summer signing that doesn't that, that ends up actually – Ben might see more of him than we do. Um, if he were to sign, he might end up uh, hanging out with the kickers for the rest of the fall. But um, – yeah, it's hard to say not knowing much about him beyond his name and uh, a sizzle reel on YouTube. Which, I mean, yeah. you can put together a sizzle reel of almost anyone and make them look adequate. All right, that's your challenge. Someone take a video of me playing soccer <laughs> out at, at Bundy Field in Shaw in D.C. Um, I'll kick a soccer ball around for a little while, and someone make a sizzle reel that makes me look like something other than a bumbling idiot. It's it's important to find techno uh, music to back this up. It has to be techno. It can't be um, hip hop or rock. It has to be techno, or else it's not a sizzle reel. That is correct. All right, let's fully turn our attention now to Columbus Crew SC. They are visiting RFK to play DC United this Saturday, 7 p.m. You can find that one on CSN or MLS Live. Um, but really, if you're in town, you should be at the stadium. So. Get to RFK. Why not? A uh, little bit about the crew right now. They are sitting in fourth in the Eastern Conference, three points behind DC United and the two co-leaders of the conference. Uh, they are 3-2-2 two, and two through seven games. Uh, and like DC, they're coming off an unbeaten April in which they had two home games and won them both and two road games and drew them both. So uh, that's the story on them right now. They're the highest scoring team in MLS so far this year, uh, they, they boast the co-highest scorer in the league so far. And Matt Doyle, uh, patron saint of MLS soccer nerds, uh, calls them the best team in the East. Ben, go. Talk about the crew. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> no crew, prompt. Yeah, the crew have been playing good soccer recently, but their overall record is not that great. Uh, they... Their march was worse than D.C. United's march. They lost to Houston. They beat Toronto. They lost to the Red Bulls. They drew Vancouver. Uh, And then their two wins in April are against Orlando, an expansion team, and the Philadelphia Union, who are widely regarded to be crap because they're the Philadelphia Union. (laughs) Guys, we get... We get to play the Union twice next month. 
I just want to put that in there. It's going to be fun. I know. It's well, we get to play awesome. everyone in the league twice next month. Yes, that's not going to be as much fun. <laughs> the month of May is 70 games long. But, but the games against the Union, at least, will be hilarious. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, the crew are fine. The crew are good. Kai Kamara has been really great for them. I, I'm kind of surpri- I'm a little surprised how great he's been in a uh, central uh, striker role rather than a target winger role that he had before. But, yes, they're good, but... I don't know I mean, if they're I, that good. I mean, you, we remember what they did at RFK last year in their first visit under Greg Berhalter. They came out and they smoked DC United. They really did. Um, I think part of that is United weren't ready for what the crew had to offer, and when they played at FedEx Field, uh, United were an ill-advised Panenka away from beating the the crew. Um, and that was I, I can't remember if the crew had started their midseason swoon at that point, but it looks like they, they got their swoon out of the way in March, and now they are, they're actually firing pretty well, because even, even against a bad team like the Union, you win 4-1, to one, there's something, right. they, there should be a there there. And, and it, with the crew, it, 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 all the fundamentals seem to point to there being a, a pretty good team, uh, if not a very good team. So it's, especially now that they got a number nine. Last year, like you said, Ben, that they, or this year, Kai Kamara, like you said, has been outstanding for them. He's the co-leader uh, with five goals this year in MLS. Um, and last year, they didn't really have a number nine. They still scored a bunch of goals. So this year, there's it shouldn't be a surprise that they lead the league in goal scoring. Uh, Jason, last year, part of that ambush at RFK they they pulled on us was just bombing their fullbacks forward. Uh, to basically an unreasonable degree, um, a degree we don't normally see in MLS because most midfields can't maintain possession in such a way that will support both fullbacks getting forward quite that much. Are, are they playing the same way this year, or have they dialed it back a bit? No, it's 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 the same um, in terms of aggression. There are some wrinkles that are involved now. Um, last year, Josh Williams, in the game you're talking about, Josh Williams stayed wide and pushed up very high. Uh, they've added um, Argentine uh, right-back named Hernan Grana, who pushes forward but has uh, the ability to come inside. It's, it's a un- very unusual wrinkle to see from a fullback in MLS. Normally, fullbacks in MLS overlap, and that's it. You, you come forward and you overlap, or you come sort of forward and you're just supporting the play. Grana will come forward and then come inside and stay involved. He's not just looking to whip a cross in, um, which really complicates things because Ethan Finley, um, I I read something earlier today from the guys at Massive Report, and they said that um, Ethan Finley is the crew's right winger. Only six players, since he scored his first goal uh, last season, only six players in MLS have scored more goals than him since that point. Um, he's also among, I think he's in the top 10 in assists in that stretch of time as well. Um, and he is a real wild card because he can go wide. He can the book on him coming out of college was that he's an old, he's a, he's a winger. He works hard, stays wide. Um, he's committed and that's about it. But, uh, the crew have really turned him into something else. Um, he can stay wide and hook in across his crossing. Isn't great, but it's, it's definitely above adequate. Um, he can cut inside. Uh, he's great at finding 
the loose balls from Kamara or finding uh, the layoffs from um, um, he's great at finding the open space uh, that that becomes available. And now with Grana able to overlap or cut inside, it just adds a layer of comp- it just much more complicated defending them than it even was last year, and it was already pretty complicated defending that side of the field from them as well. Um, Waylon Francis is still there. He was there last year. Um, he is very much an aggressive left back, but a little more traditional, um, staying wide, hooking in crosses. Um, against DC, I found it kind of interesting last season that he didn't really play that aggressively against uh, United, um, whereas in other games he was almost like he would push up, and there were at times it almost seemed like Columbus had six midfielders, and it was because Francis was so far off the left wing and Justin Merrim would tuck in. Uh, J- Justin Merrim's not really a... He's a wide midfielder in the Cruz system, but I think he... in Five years ago, we would have thought of him purely as a second forward. Um, but he cuts in off the left and looks to set up um, his right foot. There's a reason he wears number nine. It's because he was a forward his entire career. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts with Columbus that, that we, we won't normally see. We won't really see from anyone else. Um, it's not the central midfield like New York where their midfield moved all over the place and what, that was the source of confusion. This is a complication that comes from the wings. Um, Iguain's going to stay in the middle. He doesn't want to get in the way of those guys that are um, confusing everybody. Um, Tony Chani will come forward sometimes, but he's not going side to side very much. Will Trapp stays in, stays in the middle. Um, but it, but down the flanks, it's going to be a really challenging game um, for, for Sean Franklin, for assuming he's back from illness, uh, Taylor Kemp, um, the wide midfielders, whoever they end up being, um, are going to have to be excellent. So it, it's a different game from Vancouver, but it's still uh, a very complicated game to deal with. The other thing I think a lot of D.C. United fans remember from last year's games against the crew uh, were a bit of, I, I, I guess you could call it gamesmanship by some of the crew players. Uh, a lot of rolling on the ground, a lot of diving, a lot of extracurriculars, um, a lot of potentially red card, uh, at least had DC fans screaming for red cards against the crew. Are they still, number one, were they that team last year? Was it just against DC that they, they did that? And, and is that the book on them again this year? Are they a team that, that can play really good soccer but is also trying to get in your head and, and walk the line a little bit? Well, I think last year they were – it maybe was a little exaggerated against United as compared to against other teams. Um, it flared up from time to time, but I think um, the mindset of last year's United um, kind of lent itself to the crew, adding that into their game more and more uh, as compared to other games. This season they've already received two different um, sanctions from MLS for uh, crowding the referee. Um, I don't think any team in the league history, since they've introduced that punishment, has gotten two sanctions in within two months of the start of the season or two months in any time period. So um, Grana, I mentioned Grana. Grana seems to get involved in all of any time there's a little coming together of people yelling at each other, shoving. Grana always seems to get into the middle of it. He's not necessarily the person responsible, but he's always in there doing something. Um, Waylon Francis is still Waylon Francis. Um, he, uh, I'm surprised he hasn't gained more of a reputation around the league. Um, but I guess there are people are, are noticing other things in those games and his, uh, extra stuff sort of flies into the radar, but he's definitely one of those guys. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I would say it's pretty much the same. Um, if anything, the Grana edition heats things up, uh, but I think Kai Kamara is well-liked around the league, and I think um, he might help cool things off a little bit. Um, I think it seems like most players around the league enjoy him personally away from the field, so they're not necessarily going to be angry with him and wanting to get into a fight. So um, I think maybe those things sort of balance it out, but it's still pretty much the same. It's interesting because I don't think that comes from Greg Berhalter. Um, I think he's very much... Uh, calm, almost. I mean, on the sideline, he's calm, almost to the point of looking uh, detached um, compared to most. I mean, we're used to in MLS a lot of guys who were ex-players who are boiling over with rage, essentially uh, at all times. Um, and Burhalter just sort of, and as a player, Burhalter was usually pretty calm. And on the sidelines, he's just sort of like he's got his uh, sweater over his dress shirt, and he's just got his arm crossed, and he's just like. Well, I guess that's uh, an event that the players might be upset about later. I'll have to think about that. Uh, he's not, like, yelling at the referee. or, or I mean, he'll occasionally yell to be heard, but he's not screaming at somebody out of anger. Um, but the crew roster um, has a few guys that are uh, – they have a few guys that are very calm. Someone like Michael Parkhurst, um, Kamara, I mentioned, is, is kind of a guy that's going to help cool off uh, tensions sometimes on the field. Um, Will Trap, you don't see him yelling at too many people. Um, but they've also got, you know, Grana and Francis. Uh, Tony Chani is always uh, angry at somebody for some reason. Um, Federico Iguain has already gotten himself sent off for dis- two different descent cards in one game this season. So they're definitely a team that is right on the edge, and that's a battle that United is going to have to win. They have to be the team that stays in control for longer. Um, and maybe try and push the crew into doing something stupid because they've got some guys that will do some dumb stuff if you manage to anger them enough. But at the same time, those guys are trying to anger DC United's players, and we know full well on a team with guys like Fabian Espindola that uh, there are some guys on this team that can get pretty angry themselves. Going back to something you said, I, Greg Berhalter is uncannily calm on the sidelines. He's got a shaved head. He's got a very professional wardrobe. Just throwing it out there. Dude might be a supervillain. If anyone, if any coaches okay. MLS is a bona fide James Bond type supervillain. But like a high end, like a high end up the chain villain too. Yeah, like he's not the guy that you villain. fight at the beginning. Yeah. You don't fight him at the beginning of the movie. Um, he's the guy that you find out, uh, oh, up the, up, you know, he's not a Peter Vermes. Um, who just, <laughs> As soon as he walks in, you know that this is a bad guy, but he's not necessarily your biggest threat uh, in the superhero movie. I feel uh, like in in the in the world of MLS coaches as supervillains, Peter Vermees is the level one boss on the um, side-scrolling brawler video game, like like <laughs> Double Dragon or or uh, right. Ninja Turtles. He's the first level boss in that game. He's not even in James Bond. He's in he's in a video game. Double Dragon was difficult, though. I, I want to point that out. When I was a kid, I thought it was just devilishly difficult because I didn't understand that cave stage. Um, I didn't know how you could get to the bottom. I would just sort of jump off the edge and hope to land in the right space, and I could never figure it out. It turns out that when you're, like, eight, you just can't figure things out. <laughs> I played these games later, and I was like, oh, I was just dumb because I was an eight-year-old. Uh, I'm sorry to all of our eight-year-old listeners, but you're not very smart. Yeah, If we have, get there, if we have not eight-year-old listeners, they have other problems than being told right. they're bad at video games. 
Eight-year-old listeners, I'm sorry. It's going to be a tough life. Um, <laughs> given given where you are right now and that you're listening to this show and you've been allowed to listen to this show, it's going to be tough out there for you. You need to, you know, pay attention in school, I guess. Yeah, any eight-year-olds listening, I don't know you either have you. your parents are either the best or the worst. Um, I'm not going to pass judgment on on which, but it's don't one of those two extremes. Like many years from now, wait is the only thing I can tell you. That and <laughs> when you're older, Double Dragon won't be so hard. It'll turn out. <laughs> you know, eight-year-olds today have no idea what Double Dragon is. Yeah, I know. I think 20-year-olds today have no idea what Double Dragon yeah. is. Double Dragon came out in, like, the, the mid-'80s. Yeah. It was one of the early games. All right, back to soccer. <laughs> yes. Um, we, we talked a little bit earlier about Columbus's midfield and D.C.'s midfield and how they can play. Ben, what do you want to see Ben Olsen run out in central midfield against the crew? Do you want to see the flat 4-4-2 come back? Because it worked pretty well against the Red Bulls, even though this is a slightly different look. Uh, that the crew present, or do you want to see him uh, reprise what we saw in Vancouver? I mean, it all depends on what Ben Olsen has available to to him. Uh, we heard reports uh, today that Marcus Halstey is fully participating in uh, practice, and he may be available to make the bench this weekend. I doubt he's going to be immediately thrown in to start, but... If he were available, I wouldn't mind seeing him partner with Perry Kitchen. Similarly, if Davy Arnaud was available, wouldn't mind seeing him partner Perry Kitchen. But if neither of those players are available or if neither of them are up to 100%, Michael Farfan is a great option, and it provides a different look than people are expecting from DC United. And so it may throw them off. It may make them just a step behind in their preparations, and that's a good thing to have. That's a good weapon to have in your arsenal to keep throwing people off balance. So I guess overall, a flat four four, the, the flat four four two that United has played for the most part this year and last would be my slight preference, but I'm not going to complain if Michael Farfan or somebody else is uh, playing in central midfield ahead of Perry Kitchen. Jason, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm actually of two minds. I, I could go either way. I think I came out of last weekend thinking that against the crew, we should probably revert back to the flat 4-4-2, whoever is playing central midfield alongside Perry Kitchen. But, but at this point, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I think that, that the look we gave in Vancouver could actually work pretty well against what the crew have to offer. But... I'm still vacillating a bit here. I I am kind of leaning towards uh, hoping it sticks for another week. Um, we're not going to find out as much about this formation's value, uh, the four one three two, given that Vancouver went down a man. Um, it's not necessarily indicative long to for it, it doesn't indicate as much long term for DC United. I liked what I saw in the first forty minutes. I liked that it allows the team to slot into a very easy way to defend uh, a 4-2-3-1. There, there are a lot of positives to that formation. I like that it's got, it just, on the, the tip of the iceberg level, it adds a more attack-minded player to the lineup. Um, plenty of people complain about style of play. This is an effort to alleviate that. Um, at home, I, I, I think in the future I would like to see uh, a situation where United can play both ways. Um, and use them from, depending on the situation. 
And I think United is going to have to test this, and I think this is a great opportunity to find out how good this formation can be. And the other, the other thing is with that group of players, with, assuming Farfan uh, gets the start again, you can easily switch into the flat um, 4-4-2. Farfan's played in that kind of role as well. Um, Nick DeLeon has, has played in that role. So you don't have to make a substitution to go to the flat 4-4-2 from the 4-1-3-2 if you don't if you, do, if you don't need to make the sub, for other reasons, you don't have to do it to change the, the formation as it is. So I personally, I'd rather see the same um, formation come out again. I, I like what I saw. I like, I like the idea of trying to make the crew deal with us um, from an attacking perspective because Michael Parkhurst, as a center back, hasn't really, he doesn't look like a special MLS center back. Um, Emmanuel Pogatetz is nothing special alongside of him. With those attacking fullbacks going forward, um, that would help give them something, a reason to not go forward as often. Um, I think that the, the, the crew is a team that if you just try and defend them and wait for the counter, you're going to be waiting a long time. Um, I think United needs to have that extra little element on the field that, that we saw with Farfan and Perry Kitchen also had a very good game in defensive midfield, um, only misplacing four out of 56 passes, um, which kind of got brushed under the rug because his name isn't Will Trapp. Um, though, I, I mean, <laughs> some people did notice that. It wasn't just DC fans. It just wasn't as many as I would have liked. But um, we have to consider the there's a, there's a fashion thing going on where Perry Kitchen is not as fashionable as Will Trapp. Um, and maybe this is a way for him to show it. Maybe more people will pay attention if if he can keep that level of play against the crew and keep his defensive duties uh, up to snuff. Then all of a sudden, maybe people will say, you know, that's two games in a row where this has happened. Um, and also, he just played there for the national team and looked pretty good. Um, maybe that will start be the start of something. But if people want to see a more attacking United, the four one three two is the thing you should. Uh, you know, that's the bandwagon you should be getting on, I guess. If 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 you watch the team and you say they're boring, this is the, the adjustment you should be looking for. Um, but I, I would like to see it tried again based on a long view of, let's see if this thing can actually do it. If it can get it done in Vancouver and then also get it done at home against Columbus, then I don't see why it shouldn't become a regular thing that we see. But you, you're only going to find out if you give it a chance. And so I think I'm in favor of giving it a chance this week. All right. Ben Olsen traditionally has been pretty conservative, uh, even at home, um, when especially when it comes to teams that can attack the way the crew can. So I think we're more likely to see the flat 4-4-2. But like I said, I go both ways. I can see both cases. Now watch him come out with a 4-2-3-1 um, <laughs> out of the blue. This week, uh, Chile style uh, 3 4 3. Oh, I would, I would love it. Chile, I would take World it. Cup Chile, not Chile that dismantled the the national team a few, what was it, two or three months ago. Yeah. Um, Marcus Halsty is healthy, and he comes in to play a marking back role um, alongside Boswell as sweeper and Opare on the right. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it, Ben Olsen. It is time now to open up the Twitter box. We have one question we're going to get to tonight. It's from Brendan Cartwright. Um, you know him as at Brendanica, Brandonica. I'm not sure exactly how it's uh, Brandonica. Probably, um, he's a longtime commenter, very active commenter on the website. He asks us at filibuster DCU. We have seven games this month. What should we reasonably expect results wise, Ben? Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> G- 
Good answer. Uh, Strong <laughs> answer. I like it. Hot takes. Hashtag hot takes. Um, what should we expect? Well, <laughs> wait, wait. It's a hot take, but it's also like a, not a barely verbal shrug. <laughs> it is the Lucas warm of, take, uh, of takes. I mean, the, the teams are going to be easier than the teams we have faced thus far yeah. overall. Uh, but that said, it's also going to be more of them. So I think a optimistic projection is going to be a similar-ish level of points per game. I mean, obviously with rotation, it's not going to be the same two points per game that we're currently averaging. But I think DC United, with the depth that they have, with the injured players that they have coming back, I think they can maintain a good level of play throughout even this ridiculous May schedule with an insane number of games, and that doesn't even count the unscheduled Open Cup games that are yet to be placed in their schedule, so... Well, those are, yeah. that, that'll be in June, at least. Yeah, but, but... June, we'll be talking about this in June as well, because June is the same as May. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's good that DC United has already banked a lot of points in March and April, because everyone's uh, May and June is going to be insane, especially the teams that haven't played that many games, like the New, like uh, the New York Red Bulls, like the Montreal Impact, like another of other teams who are two and three and four games in hand on DC United so far. Yeah, they have a lot of games to make up. So the opponents this month, we get we get three straight home games to open up the month. Um, this Saturday against the Crew, of course. Next Saturday against the Sporks and then the following Wednesday against Orlando City, Ben's favorite club. Um, then we go on the road for three straight, um, starting in Philly on a Sunday, and then New England the following Saturday, and then for some reason unknown to anyone except the criminally insane people who make the MLS schedule, uh, four day, three days, not even four days. Well, no, it is four days. My math was no, wrong. No, it is four days. Four days after playing on turf in New England, DC United will play on turf in Portland, Oregon. If they were playing in Portland, Maine, I could understand. But no, they're playing in Portland, Oregon. Um, maybe maybe one of those could have taken place on a, that early bye week that United had. Or one of the two other times DC United will be in Cascadia. Maybe they could have combined two of the three road trips to Cascadia so that DC United doesn't have to fly cross-country three separate times to go up there. Um, nah. Neither here nor there. Then DC United gets the Union again at home to close out the month. So you figure, go for a win this weekend. The Sporks are not as good as they've been in the past. I think four wins is, incre- is, is very doable this month. You add in, yeah. what, two draws uh, out of the other three games... If we come out of this with one loss, we're looking at at least two points a game. So yeah. we, we actually could maintain that same average if DC United keeps it together. And, and just based on the just based on who the team who United is playing and where they're playing them, I think the three game homestand. Uh, I think seven points is a fair, especially because the, between game one and game two, there's no midweek game. Um, the the you know the second and the ninth, there's there's a rest there. Um, I think going for seven out of those three home games, I think that's a fair, 
demand for Olsen to place on the team and for fans to place on the team. Um, the union is god awful. Um, we should we should be able to beat them home and away, even on short rest. Um, which both of those games will be on short rest, but the union are just miserable. Um, Sadly, so, we've, we've missed if, Rice and Bowley's tenure this season. Yeah, but but uh, other than one game, John McCarthy looks like a guy that was signed at the USL to be a third string goalkeeper. Um, so it's not like things have gotten better. Um, I would even advise people, if you don't want to watch the Union out of curiosity to see what United is going to face, I would say don't even watch them play soccer um, until until something changes there. Um, but you know, the games that I look at uh, as problematic are at New England and at Portland. Um, New England is good. We know we know they're one of the three best teams in the East, uh, or I guess four, um, with New York now uh, getting a little better this this off season. Um, that's going to be a tough game against New England and then flying cross country to Portland, which is ridiculous. But, um, I guess, you know, Columbus already did that as well. So I guess it's just going around that everyone has to play two straight turf games on opposite coast in a four day span. Those games, if we can get one point, if we get a draw and a loss and just look respectable, I think that's fair given the, the context. Um, but I still think, I think Adam, you touched on four wins. I think that's a fair Demand, even if it is a trying, it's a trying time-wise, it's a trying schedule. But in terms of the teams that United is facing, it's not that trying. Though we do have to admit, Orlando did uh, play us off the field more or less uh, down there. Um, fortunately for United, things are going well for us. Things are not going well for Orlando. They might not be in the best mental state when they they come to town. So at least there's that. But um, you know, four wins, uh, two draws, and a loss would be awesome. And it's also not crazy to demand that. That That's feasible because of the teams we're playing. The only good teams we're really playing, de- definitively good, are Columbus and New England. Everyone else is either adequate or Philadelphia. There you go. Um, ben, anything else you want to talk about tonight before we get out of here? No, nothing quite. That's just going to be your stock answer now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We cover all Wait, the good this, things. Are we becoming uh, the Barry Gibbs show? <laughs> no, no, we're not. No, uh, no. All right, before we make other SNL references, I am going to thank you guys for listening tonight. Oh, uh, Lindsay Minus... Buckingham, we couldn't get to you tonight. Oh, you're mi- you're mixing your that's, skits now. Yeah, that's a completely different sketch. That's what's up with that. I, I know that. But you gave him an accent that made it sound like he was very. <laughs> it made no sense. I am up with that. <laughs> Ben is drinking. It, it's a reminder. Ben is drinking warm gin, so I think we. I guess we have to cut him some slack. Ben Ben has drunk warm gin. <laughs> Find us at blackandredunited.com. <laughs> We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu at blackandredu for the website. Send up, your ben? emails, love, hate, indifferent to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can give us ratings and reviews on both of those. They help us out. Mostly tell a friend about us. Um, word of mouth is really obviously how we spread. I say that every week because it's true. Uh, we will talk to you real soon. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs> Apparently you got some of that warm gin too, huh? <laughs> <laughs>